Every once in a while, you're not always sure the transition from uh, shadows to real life connects. And uh, I think sometimes for big people, it's sometimes difficult. We uh, reread this text. It's a prophecy. And the reason I can go to that prophecy is because the prophecy is <coughs> not only given in that present time, uh, just prior to the birth of Jesus, about six months or so, before Jesus is born, but it's a prophecy. It is a prophecy that is going to be completed and fulfilled. And one of the things that you and I always need to be alert of is that God was very much aware that we needed to have a security, a sense of actual truth, of resting on something that we could actually entrust ourselves to. And so in doing that, he would prophesy, and weeks or months or years or centuries or even millennia later, the prophecy would come true. And as the prophecy came true, he said, I will continue to do this so you know you can trust my promises. And so when you understand the resurrection, it is the theological completion in the sense of all of God's promises. It is the death and resurrection of Christ, obviously. But also it's a statement, I have demonstrated again that I am trustworthy. I know how hard it is to trust to surrender, to let go, and so I will continue to demonstrate that you can trust in me. Now, growing up, I always thought, if God would just come down and do one more trick, you ever thought like that? Do one more trick. Just make this person well. Just uh, do this miracle. Just solve uh, some problem in a country or stop a war or do something, and then we'll all believe in you. And... Uh, I always thought like that until I got old enough to understand Scripture a little bit better and understand God a lot better, and I began to realize, let's see, uh, you know, you ever been in that kind of mode, oh God, just zap them good so everyone will know you're God. And God whispers back, you mean like I did in the plagues? Oh yeah, bring those plagues down again. And God says, what did it do to Pharaoh's heart? It hardened it. Oh, did you think that if I sent plagues upon the earth that people's hearts would be softened? Well, I thought, yeah, they would be softened and then they'd really believe in you. Oh. You mean like uh, when I warned them the flood was coming and they all immediately repented? Oh, I, I guess that one didn't work so good either. You mean like when the, the children of Israel, I had, I had done these things for them and, and they got rebellious and I said, you must stop what you're doing. And immediately they all got on their faces and said, God, you have been so faithful, we will be faithful to you. And I studied scripture and found out that these arrogant people, human beings, did the opposite. So I proposed, I said, God, what about grace? Maybe if you were very gracious to people, then if you were really, really kind and you forgave them all kinds of things, then certainly, then certainly their hearts would be softened and they'd really repent and they'd come to that knowledge, all right? And he begins to go, you mean like I did when I rescued the children of Israel with Gideon and Samson and the other judges? Well, yeah. And he said, what did you notice? That... For the most part, by the next generation, the people stopped believing and stopped following. I said, yeah. 
And he began to go down this list of grace and mercy and law and whatever I came up with, God says, you mean like this or that person? I go, yeah. Well, maybe if you just came down and told people the truth, maybe then they'd really repent. You mean like the rich young ruler? Oh, you mean the guy that said, what must I do to be saved? And he was so arrogant because he thought he hadn't sinned. I don't sin. That must be what somebody else does. And, and then I looked him in the eye and I said to this young man, go and sell everything you have, give it to the poor and come follow me. And he said, what did you notice when I told him the truth? That he left because he loved his stuff more than he loved you. And he said, now you understand part of my dilemma of giving mankind free will. Do you really think that mercy and all these other external things or even the factualness of the resurrection? Look at it, study the fact of the resurrection. Even the people that were there that could see and touch and hold him, even those people around him, the same people that were saved that saw the miracles of God and saw the grace of God, the same miracles that either turned their hearts or brought them to faith, set the Pharisees' hearts hardened against them so that they were going to kill him. And so you begin to understand, it's not what you think. Uh, trusting in God is not some intellectual moment. It's not just simply, now I've arrived at this logical conclusion and therefore I will trust in God. God whispers and says, no, this is a work of my spirit. This is a work I will accomplish in you because faith is beyond words. It's even beyond the momentary fact. It's even beyond that situational truth. Everything I told you is true, but true faith has to be the work of the Spirit of God in our life and your life. And so you've got to understand that when you're dealing with your brother, your sister, your mother, your father, your friend, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, anyone else, you can't reason them into heaven. You can't logic them into the kingdom of God. You can certainly answer their questions. God was more than willing to do that. And you cannot hide from facts. And you've got to demonstrate them. But ultimately, real faith is a work of the Spirit and a change of a man's mind and heart by the power of the Holy Spirit. It is a work of God to be born again. And to understand it is to try and help you grapple with one of the challenges that God has. Now, in this text, this Zechariah's song, I want you to know it says this. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Prophecy from the Old Testament being fulfilled. Then he goes on in verse uh, seven there, or 70 there, and he said, As he said uh, through his holy prophets long ago, salvation from our enemies, and it means those who hate you. And in that context, certainly Lucifer, Satan, the demonic, as well as others who hate you. Those who are haters of you. It says, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham. And so immediately he takes us back into the history, into the reality of everything he had done. From the time of Noah to the time of Abraham, through all the prophets, through all the children of Israel, from the time of David. And he carries us through right to the miracle of what he's carrying out now in the birth of Christ and finally the salvation, the death and resurrection of Christ. And he goes on in this next thought, and watch what he says here. Uh, and the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies 
and enable us, and this is the part I want to stop on, to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. You afraid? Fear is kind of a fascinating thing. I, I sometimes ask it of the kids in class, and they say, are you afraid of anything? Uh, spiders. I don't like snakes. You know, mice. I hate mice. You get a little bit of that kind of fear, and, and then you ask them uh, to think beyond just that kind of uh, little quick fear question, and uh, you are really afraid of anything. You start to peel off some interesting things in people's lives. Fear is one of those fascinating uh, behaviors or attitudes that we probably struggle with. And uh, I was reading an article the other day that said there are some basic fears that people seem to experience. Uh, One is the fear of losing what they have. You're a little afraid with the uh, situations around that you might lose what you possess, you know, those accumulations of stuff that we have and those houses we have and and cars, and, you know, all that stuff, you know, that's not easy. And so we insure it, and we guard it, and we lock the doors behind us, and, and uh, there's a degree of fear, it seems, about losing things, you know. And, and so that fear is one of the fears that seems to cripple people or hold people up sometimes. The second fear, they said, is the fear of loss over our children. If you're an adult with children or you're old enough to understand this concept, there is always that continuous, ongoing uncertainty. The loss of a child to someone kidnapping them. The loss of a child to someone abusing them. The loss of a child to the wickedness of a circumstance in the school they're attending, or the wickedness of how people can treat them and hurt them in that sense. The loss or the fear of losing a child spiritually, to losing a child if he goes and enlists in the military, to losing a child to a car accident, and so every parent that probably has had a child or two has fretted over everything from how they're doing health-wise to how they're doing in terms of who they hang out with their friends to how they're doing in their school to how they're doing spiritually before the Lord. Losing that child, the fear that maybe you can relate to. The third one, it said, was the fear uh, of the uh, things like desolation, famine, and terrorism. Desolation means uh, disease and sickness. Do you get some of the, I call it the plague going around this year? You know, that flu that kind of knocks you down, not for a day or two, but it feels like it takes a week to get over it, and you feel sicker than you felt in a long time, and that kind of stuff. Every once in a while they come out with these new movies of these plagues unleashed upon the planet and everybody dies except uh, Will Smith. (laughs) And he somehow manages to survive because he's so good looking. (laughs) And rich. And a movie star. All the rest of you are dead. You understand? And and so they make a movie about that and that movie plays on our fears. It, It kind of touches those things. We have... Plagues like AIDS unleashed. We've got statistics that are unbelievably mind-boggling. One out of every two kids going to college is carrying an STD now. What did the Journal Sentinel say? Is that unbelievable or what? You're dealing with statistics that you step back and I go, you can't even comprehend. 
You're, you're concerned about all of these kind of perverted behaviors that are out there, and they weigh heavy on you sometimes. They weigh heavy not only on you, they weigh heavy upon your children and your grandchildren and whatever else. And so fear can creep into our heart like that. Fear of terrorism. You know, that anticipation. Get a, go to the war, don't get out of the war. Should we be concerned about terrorism? Should we not? Is it really gone? Do you really think it's gone? Those kind of questions that are proverbially argued about now because we're in a political year and everybody seems to have an opinion and uh, yet at the same time, you start seeing the things of what it could become and how simple it would be to set off one little nuclear bomb off somewhere on the West Coast and the rest of us would be eating radioactive food for years. And I go, that can be a little bit of uh, dis you know, disheartening and those kinds of things. And the last fear, they said, was a fear that there's no one that's going to get us out of this situation. Do you really think we've got a presidential candidate out there? That's going to help us out of this situation? I don't care who you're voting for for the moment. I just said, do you really believe what they say? How many promises have presidential candidates made and broken? How much really do we have to hold people that are elected into office? You know, uh, you've got people claiming not to raise taxes, and so they raise fees. That's not a tax. And you smile at them and go, excuse me. What are we, stupid? And the answer, of course, is yes. Okay. You have people in Milwaukee who will elect a criminal. They put him back in office after, I'm going, what is wrong with the, the nature of the human beings? You're going to put some people in office that are totally prepared to kill children. And they say, I'll fight to the death for the right to kill these babies. And you go, gee, he's just the man I want to run our country. We got people standing up there as politicians now. Yes, yes, yes. I had all these affairs and so did my wife. So we're going to tell you all about them ahead of time so you can now know we're people of integrity. And Americans think that makes sense? That's integrity? I go, what happened to the promise you made to one another? What happened to the integrity and faithfulness that just begins the relationship? Where's that integrity? How can you say, now I've demonstrated integrity because I have come clean and out into the open? But sometimes you'll hear people on the radio fighting for that kind of thing, and I go, do you really think there's a leader out there who will take us out of this situation? And so, please note, I'm going to read the text to you one more time. He's doing all these things, then verse 74, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. See, the resurrection is a, is a beginning it is a, it's, a, it's that moment of the completion of all that God has promised. It is that empowering reality of what God said, I will do, and is completed. It is that awareness that God made this promise several thousand years ago, and it was nothing to him to wait till that point in time where Jesus was going to fulfill it. That did not bother him a bit. And he expected people to live in faith anticipating it. As you look at the circumstances of our world, and I suspect... Certainly one or possibly two of those fears touched your heart today. They certainly smack into mind periodically. They, uh, they kind of pull you and tug at you and drag you down. And so here I am reading this text going, so that you can serve him without fear. And I'm looking at myself going, well, I'd like to get to that point. I'd like to really begin to entrust myself to that point. 
I began to ask, what does it take? How do you get to that point without fear? Well, one of the things you begin to do is you begin to understand. You put all your stuff together kind of in your mind's eye, and you put your house, and you put all the stuff. This is just the physical stuff, and you look at it, and you say this. Lord Jesus, this all belongs to you. Do with it whatever you want. And you let go. If God is able to give it to me in the first place, like Job, is he able to take it away? Yes. And like Job, is he able to double it when he's ready to double it again? Yes. So where's your faith, child? Right? Isn't that really what you do? You hang out, you run back to it, you put it, ah, you let go. And I go, when you let go of the stuff and you surrender it back into the hands of God and you start viewing it from that perspective, it can't be taken from you because it never really belonged to you in the first place. And the fear dissipates. That fear of losing stuff. That fear of not having stuff. Look at the next one. Fear over your children. Do you parents really believe you have control over those kids? I remember the first one. I was a good parent. I don't know what happened with the second one, but I was a good parent with the first one. And by the third one, I figured I needed to go back to class or something, you know, because it just got harder or I got dumber or something. It worked so well with one of them, didn't touch the next one at all. And I said, what is going on? And God whispers to me and he says, they don't belong to you. Oh, you're my steward. You tell them the truth. You love them unconditionally. You live a life of example. You demonstrate what is real and true and sincere. And then, what's the word? Let go. Boy, I hate letting go. I liked it when they were really small. You could kind of keep them in the house. Keep them in the backyard. And then they turned three. How come you're not in the backyard like I told you? Well, there was something down the block. And you, suddenly you begin to realize, oh my goodness, I can't hold this kid no matter how hard I try. And then, for goodness sakes, they hit 8, 9, 10, and they're gone on a bike somewhere. They hit 16, and then who knows where they're driving to. And then they drag home some guy or girl that you know is... Right? And I go, you want to... And you do it out of love. I mean, don't misunderstand. I held on to my kids out of love. It wasn't like, but it was also out of fear. And that fear just cripples us because I have to keep laying them down. It's, a, it's so releasing to finally look at my child and say, you know what, child? I'm praying that God will do to you what I can't. Because God can take your legs out from underneath you. God can bless you. God can build you up. God can tear you down. God can do whatever he wants. And I'm going to pray that God will do whatever's needed in your life. You see, I'm just a dad. And you know what? As a dad, I'm so stupid. If you tell me you're not messing with your boyfriend or girlfriend, I'll believe it. But you know what? You can't fool God. And I'm going to pray that if you're lying, that God's taking you out. Or whatever's necessary. And if you need to be blessed, he will bless you. And because I'm a dad, I can't tell whether you need a hug half the time or a kick in the butt. I'm not sure. I just do the best I can. But I will tell you this, child. I love you. 
and I will pray for you. And I am going to release you into the hands of God who created you, who will guide you even after I'm gone, who will not quit on you, and has a single purpose in his heart, and that is that he wants you in heaven with him. And I go, with God on my side, once I can finally learn to, I believe that I can begin to function with my child in a totally different way. Do you know the pain of letting go? I do. You know that pain of grabbing and letting go, and grabbing and letting go, and and that, that process that you go through trying to get to that point where I go, Lord Jesus, take this child. And God whispers, I have always held your child. You're just getting smart enough to notice. And I'm going, you can't drive with them in the car. You can't be with them while they're dating these weird people they date. You can't be around them all the time. No matter how bad you want, half the time they won't even listen, even if you tell them the truth. Even if you're, you're, you're dancing and you're saying it perfectly and you're all cool and hip and whatever else word you want to... Boy, was that old school, eh? <laughs> I know, hip. Got a whole row of girls laughing at me in the front row. <laughs> hip, cool, whatever the word is today, you know. And you go, what's the point? The point is you've got to understand. God says, I have risen from the dead. Every promise I have made is true. Let go. Let go. Be the man and woman I've called you to be. Be faithful to what I've called you to be, but let go because that's when love and the power of God begins to destroy the power of fear. And no leader to guide this world out of its mess. There has never been a leader from planet Earth that would ever be able to guide this world out of its mess. It guides it from one mess into another mess. What did you really believe? That some leader will finally come along and say, I have the problem solved. We will now get along perfectly. Drive this car that doesn't use gas. Then we'll get along perfectly. There won't be any more pollution. Is that what you believe? If you just elect this guy president, suddenly there won't be any racial problems in our country? If you elect this woman this or that man that, do you really believe they have the ability to do those things? No. We have survived. We grow. We shrink. We go up and down and sideways and all the things. And God whispers and says, I am the way the truth, and the life. I am the solution to these problems. And so even as you struggle with the politics and the insanity of our culture sometimes, even as you stare down the barrel of, of everything from recession to depression, even as you stare into the future which has this kind of unpredictable reality to it, you don't even know if you're going to make it into tomorrow. And God says, let go. Let go. If I am able to clothe a lily in the field, can I take care of you? Can I do what I've promised or not? And so now you come back to the resurrection. And the resurrection is, I have always carried out every promise I have ever made. There is nothing that I will fail to do. You have to understand, my timing's not your timing. How long did I have to wait for that resurrection? Oh, about uh, 3,200 years or whatever it was. Well, that may not be your timing, but it was perfect for the Lord. And you have to understand, when God finally passed judgment on the people in the flood, and he waited five generations before he finally sent that flood, that isn't exactly quick punishment in my mindset. These people are so nasty, you should zap them right now. And God says, I'll take care of them, but I'll wait five generations. Are any of you floating in that kind of grace right now? 
You're going, well, hey, God doesn't even mind. I'm messing around on my wife. God doesn't even mind. I'm messing around and lying to my parents. God doesn't even mind. Nothing wicked is happening, and you're living under that blanket of grace, and you just take advantage of that grace, and you take advantage of that grace. You understand the process? God is presenting himself to you as he always has. I will deal with who and what you really are. Do not think I am blind or slow or old or stupid. What I have told you is the truth. As I have been raised from the dead, I'm coming back for you. And everything I have promised to you here and now on this earth and everyone else is this beautiful passage in Philippians that says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in all his sufferings becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain that resurrection from the dead. Paul got it. He had a sense. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. He understood it. He had gotten to that point where he could begin that process of letting go and just letting it out there. Not ignoring it, not failing to be responsible to it, but doing his part and understanding that God was responsible for the growth. And so as you and I leave on Resurrection Sunday today, the real resurrection is when I can leave having let go, laying it upon the altar, trusting that God is bigger than the problem or the family situation or whatever else I'm dealing with. And then, not quitting, but getting on my face going, God, I'm coming to you because I'm going to pray you are the only source of leadership for this country. You are the only source of protection for my children. You are the only source of any hope of any of my stuff, if stuff matters at all. You are the only source, Lord, and I am going to surrender to you. If we would get on our faces before the Lord for our children, for our circumstances, for our country, what did God say? If my people, who are called by my name, will stand up and gather all their stuff together and cling to it real lot, then I'll save them? Well, we'll finally elect the right guy or woman in the presidency and then everything will turn out well? No. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, let go. Humble themselves. Trust that God is bigger than the situation. Humble themselves and pray. Then will I hear from heaven and I will come and heal that land. There isn't one of us here that doesn't need some family healing. There isn't one of us here that doesn't need some personal healing. There's not one of us sitting in this church today, from me down to you, or anywhere in between right and left, that doesn't need what God's offering. I am in need of what God is offering me today. That wisdom to let go, that humility that says, I can do nothing apart from you. But in you I am more than a conqueror, and I will surrender this day into your hands May God give me that kind of resurrection fervor and that excitement that I begin to trust in the promises of God. Pray with me if you would. Lord Jesus, I bless you and I praise you and I thank you. You have called us by name. You have inscribed us upon the heart and, and your hand and you have looked upon us with favor and gentleness. You have spoken to us in the toughness of your word and you have spoken to us in the tenderness of your word. You have given grace when we certainly didn't deserve it in any way, shape, or form. You have demonstrated a toughness when we stopped listening. And Lord Jesus, with my brothers and sisters, I pray that we would let go of our stuff today. I pray, Lord, that you would give me the courage not to just do it in my mind, but to actually let go of it, to actually understand 
to be wise stewards of what you've given us, but to let go and trust that if you want to give it away or you want it taken away, in whatever way you want it to go, Lord, we pray that we would have a heart willing to let go of it and surrender it into your hands alone, Lord Jesus. And so we pray for the courage of what that's going to be. We pray, Lord, that we would be able to release our children, not release them into this world in that sense, Lord, but to release them into your arms and to continuously pray with great joy. I know who you are, my Lord. I know that you have called this child into existence by your mercy and grace. I know that you are its true father, and you are more than able to accomplish your purposes. And so, Father, I pray with the other parents in this fellowship. I pray for healing over our child's mind. I pray for truth to permeate every part of their body. I pray for surrendered spirits that as fathers and mothers, husbands and wives, we would be on our knees with one another, interceding for our children to speak against those forces that rip and tear at their lives. I pray, Lord, for their secret times, their self-deceptions, the lies they live under, that they would be broken free from them. I pray if they're in relationships or friendships or acquaintances that are wicked or evil for them, that they would have an insight of you calling them out of that situation. And then I pray, Lord, that you would make me a parent that has learned to be humble and has learned to let go and understand exactly what you're doing. We pray, Lord, for those fears that are crippling us related to the circumstances around us, the anticipations of everything from disease to cancer to, to death and sickness and the other things that just make us so fearful. We tremble in our faith walk with you. Instead, Lord, we know that every breath, every heartbeat is a gift from your hand. Every moment a cell functions like it should is a gift from your hand. And it's to stop, Lord, looking and anticipating with fear to what might happen and instead enjoy this moment so that whether we live or whether we die, everything we do would be done for your glory, Lord Jesus. And finally, we pray that you would raise up not the leaders of this world, but you would raise up a church on its knees to be the leader of this world who recognize there is only one leader, and that is you. And we pray, Lord, that broken and humbled, with great boldness and courage, we would preach and teach and live without fear, without shame, without embarrassment, serving the brothers and sisters around us, serving those in need, Lord, serving the worst of the sinners with a gentleness and a fear that is not of the world, but a trust that you are able to work in that situation. Lord, Raise up a church that has learned to lead on its knees and to follow the one true leader of this planet. Heavenly Father, as we do that, set a resurrection glory into our hearts. I trust, Lord Jesus, that my day will come when you will come back to take me home with you. And I pray, Lord, that you would anchor that so deeply in my heart, nothing of this world would uproot it or cause it to be shaken. I pray the resurrection glory and the resurrection truth into my mind and into my spirit I pray, Lord, for your joy to fill this place. And Lord, as we leave today, give us the courage to leave our fears here and to walk out in the boldness of entrusting ourselves to you. We pray this all in your name. Join with me in the Lord's Prayer, if you would, today. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Bless you all.
As the offering is received today, we pray God's mercy and grace over that time. I know that finances are unpredictable, and uh, until you let go of them, uh, you don't really begin to understand and see the power of God. Uh, if you're a guest or a visitor today, please do not put anything in. I'm not stopping you, but please do not put anything in. You're our guest, and we just appreciate you choosing to come here today with us. And if you need some, like I've always told you, it doesn't belong to us, take it out. And if there's not enough there, let us know what you need.